morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Michael Carney, and I'm joined here by Robin Hauser, the incredibly talented director of the film you just saw previewed, and Sally Krawcheck, CEO and founder of Elvest. And we're going to talk today about bias, uh, women in leadership, workplace diversity, all very timely and topical kind of topics for our industry and our society at large. Uh, I'd love to start, Robin, briefly. Tell us why you made this film. What was your inspiration? Was it something personal that you know, touched you or, or decided you to take on this topic? Well, I think any woman would say that there's something personal about this subject. I think we've all experienced it to a certain extent. Um, but this was really a follow-on to the film Code Debugging the Gender Gap that I made, um, which premiered in 2015 at Tribeca. Uh, and what I realized as I was going around screening the film um, to really big tech companies, but also to financial companies, law firms, was that we touched upon a subject that women and people of color feel um, across industries, not just in tech, but really across industries. And that there was a bigger subject here. Unconscious bias is a, is a bigger subject. And again, this isn't you know a whiny female film. It's not about pointing the finger. Um, as you heard David Rock say, if you have a brain, you have bias. We all have it. So it's about how is this affecting our choices socially? How is it affecting our choices in the workplace? And why does that matter? Why should we all care? And was there anything that you learned or uncovered uh, in making the film that was surprising to you? I mean, as a professional woman, I'm sure you had a sense of how bias existed and how it may have affected you in your career, but anything that stood out or surprised you after you, you know, finished the project or have, have gotten as far as you've gotten? Yeah, so I'm still filming. I'm still in the middle of making this film. Um, I would say that the fact that there's so much uh, science really behind it is shocking to me. I mean, it'd be easy just to say, you know, I'm not biased, um, but in fact, the fact that we all are. And I think what was really most interesting is that we do not have the ability to recognize bias in ourselves. Just like David Rock said, you know, it's like trying to do two math problems in your head at once. We physically can't do it, but we can see bias in other people. And that's the little glimmer of hope here, right? That if we can see it in somebody else, perhaps we can learn how to structure our environment and change procedure so that maybe we can help mitigate it in the workplace. Right. Um, Sally, I want to switch gears real quickly. You uh, recently published a book called Own It, which is fantastic. I, I read about a third of it. I, I'm looking forward to finishing it. Um, heard phenomenal things from everyone who I know has read it. But you give an interesting piece of advice in the book, or I guess maybe debunk a piece of advice. Would you tell people what that is? What is the, the wrong advice that you're hearing women get in the workplace? Oh, act like a man. So much, of the re so much of the advice to women, and there's so much of it out there, tells us to be more confident and more strong and take on the P&L responsibilities. And actually, the power of diversity is diversity, not bringing in people of difference and then managing them all the same. I want to pause here because if I had been to one of these uh, panels a handful of years ago, I would have been like, when is this going to be over? I don't really love this topic, what am I gonna have for dinner? Uh, but I used to be an equity research analyst and so like so many of you, I would look for points about performance in companies. And I analyzed everything. I never did a piece of research that wasn't highly quantified. But the only thing I couldn't quantify was the talent of management and the performance of management. Despite the fact it was the question everybody asked me, every investor asked me in every meeting and I, tried to regress management tenure, management past success, education levels, etc. The only research I found on the quality of management is diversity. And it is diversity of gender, but I believe it's diversity of background, perspective, education, skin color, orientation. Diverse leadership teams 
lead to higher returns on equity, not by a little, by a lot, greater employee engagement, greater consumer engagement, greater innovation. Diverse teams are so powerful, they outperform smarter teams. But I really became enamored of this topic. Uh, so I'm a Wall Streeter, a recovering Wall Streeter. I ran Smith Barney, Merrill Lynch. And post the crisis, I spent time trying to figure out what were some of the unearthed causes of the crisis. And one of them, what I saw was not evil geniuses who perfectly foresaw the crisis. I saw really good people who were my friends, who all happened to look sort of the same. They were all white, male, and middle-aged. They all had similar backgrounds. They all focused on these four factors as to whether the market was going to be terrible. And then came in 12 other factors, and they drove over a cliff, right? Now, by the way, just to be clear, I love white male middle-aged guys. I've been married to a couple of them. I think they're amazing. <laughs> I mean, amazing. So, it, but it's not about excluding the guys. It's about bringing in more perspectives, and I think our country would have been safer. In fact, I think we see it playing out in real time right now at the top of our government, lack of diversity. Now, in both Wall Street and the broader technology, early stage technology ecosystem, people are ambitious. People want to succeed. They want to build great companies. We're always talking about shareholder value. So it would, you'd expect that people would uncover every rock to try and deliver that success. So where is the disconnect? What is your, I'd love to hear from both of you, maybe yeah. on either side of the aisle, Wall Street and Silicon Valley at large. Um, Where's the disconnect? Why are people not turning to this as a solution? Why are people not addressing because it? Because I think the outperformance is theoretical, whereas filling the job, you know, it's always, and I, I don't know Silicon Valley as well as I, I know Wall Street, every job is so important. We are number two in the league tables in high yield in Northern Virginia. This is an emergency. And so therefore, we have to fill it with someone we can trust. And so it's not the black woman, you know, who came from overseas. It's the guy who looks just like me because I need to trust him. In addition, it is so much harder to manage people who are different from yourself, whereas, you know, you can take those shortcuts right away in managing individuals like yourself. No, that's absolutely right. It's about shortcuts. And I think the other thing that's really interesting here is that the argument, which is, it's true, by the way, that companies with diversity and gender and ethno, um, you know, economic diversity, um, people of color diversity, have greater ROI. The problem is it's hard to convince Google and Yelp and Facebook of those type of things because guess what? They've got a great ROI, right? So then you go to the argument of, well, just because it's the right thing to do. But it's also very clear that when you have a diverse team, you're able to create products that serve a greater breadth of humanity. Right? And that's important. So that's great. We've got all sorts of apps to get dry cleaning picked up at your workplace and everything to get food to your desk. But what about clean drinking water? What about um, an app, you know, that's going to help some kid that lives in the inner city get home safely from the park and avoid gang activity? I mean, these are things that you're, sorry, no offense. And by the way, I also love men. Um, but have you been married to a couple of middle-aged white guys? Just one. Yeah. That was enough. <laughs> <laughs> That was enough. But, um, no, but I think it's really interesting in that, in that that's not what your average dropout from Stanford's going to think about, right? About, about any of those things. So it's, I, I think that diversity, it's very clear. It's also, as Sam Altman says, it's the right thing to do. 
that brings up an interesting point. The, the average dropout from Stanford, let's assume it, it's a white male, but it leads to the point of, of role models. And so uh, in technology, there are a few high profile, you know, female leaders, not a ton, but at least some names we could, we could all kind of come up with at the top of our head. Sally, I've heard you mention in the past that even though there are successful women on Wall Street, the, the name recognition isn't necessarily there. The role models aren't highlighted and, and top of mind for a lot of people. We, we've gone backwards. We've gone backwards. And I say to folks, just name some. And most folks in this room can probably get two or three, but you can't get to five or six. But I want to build on what you talked about, missing opportunities. So I've recently founded Elevest, which is a digital investment platform for women. Um, and I founded it because over time I came to recognize that in this country, we have a gender investing gap. Men invest, just as we've got a gender pay gap and some of the others, but men invest to a much greater rate than women do. It costs women hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars over the course of their lives. It's not because women don't have money to start with. We control $5 trillion of investable assets. We're going to inherit because, I'm sorry guys, but y'all die before we do. So we got that going for us. But we're going to inherit 70% of the $40 trillion of wealth transfer. We're 60% of college graduates. We're starting businesses at twice the rate of men. Single women are buying houses at, at quite a higher rate than single men. So there is economic force, but we're losing out because we're not investing as much. So I took this. I said, well, I'm not a traditional entrepreneur. And I took this to several CEOs of large companies that I'll help you, I'll work on this with you. Nobody's in this market. And what I heard was they're a niche market. Uh, don't their husbands manage their money for them, despite the fact 90% of us manage our money on our own at some point in our lives. And by the way, women won't invest because they're too risk averse and they need more financial education. And we had a marketing program once and it didn't work. And so what we've decided to do is to turn the problem inside out and how do we change the product and how do we serve women differently rather than feed to them the war and sports analogies, outperform, beat the market, pick a winner, through the 86% of males who, 86% of financial advisors who are males, 60 plus years old, with an industry symbol that is a bull, a phallic symbol. Not a single woman on the planet has ever said to me, that symbol just speaks to me and makes me want to invest. And so this is a, the biggest investing opportunity out there, which Wall Street has completely missed. And it's not a coincidence that it's mostly males. To that point about speaking to your consumers, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about how do we speak to leaders? How do we have a conversation that is constructive and productive for people who have good intentions but are misguided? What, what is your advice to a leader who wants to improve, wants to address bias in their workplace, but either feels likely to be attacked, feels like they're doing enough maybe? How do you have that conversation? Well, I would say the most important thing is to realize is to take, take away the defensiveness, is to say that we, we get this problem, it happens everywhere. And I think um, talk to people, but talk to women, right? I think that's the thing. I think that, um, you know, bring in training groups on unconscious bias training, that type of thing. That, that's good to a certain extent. It helps. The, truly, the only way to mitigate this type of thing is to work one-on-one -on -one with somebody that's different than you. They're saying that that is, is probably the, the most effective way to create that sort of understanding and change of perception. Um, but I think recruiting male allies is enormous, don't you? Well, I think it is. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had enough of them. And 
um, I like to say, and I, and I think we women have to begin to have more of these conversations. And I know for some of us, it's been, you know, oh, I don't want to be labeled as that woman and will I be put over there? But I tell groups of women, I probably interrupted as many groups of guys with all the years that I was on Wall Street talking about as many things as anybody else. And never did I walk in and say, hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And they said, hey Sally, we're talking about the power of gender diversity and driving business results. It never happened. And so what I say is, I think, I tend to believe folks are really well-meaning. I tend to believe until proven otherwise, CEOs want their businesses to be more successful and want to provide a fair and open and collegial and innovative and driven workplace that's, that's good for everybody. And so I think it's, it's asking the question, and certainly in more established companies, you've been doing this stuff for this long. You've had the diversity committee for 15 years. You've had the mentoring group for 10 years. It ain't working. It's diversity theater. Right, how about do what Mark Benioff does and just close your gender pay gap, right? How about you know just make it a rule that the next promotion is going to be somebody of difference, not the next slate, but the next promotion. And just at some point, people have got to start to force it because the middle management will kill you every time. Here's the other thing, with, with companies like Glassdoor, young women and people of color are looking now at companies. They're looking to see how many women are in upper management, how many, what's the promotion rate? Um, pay gap also is huge. And by the way, Blake Irving at GoDaddy did the same thing. Um, so, I, and I think it's really important that you cannot hide anymore. It's going to be transparent and people care about this. It's not going away. And that's what, part of what I write about in my book, which is technology is bringing so much transparency to it. So back in my day, if I wasn't getting paid what the guys did, I didn't know it. Today, you can go to any number of resources, get raised comparably, pay scale, et cetera, a whole bunch of them, figure out kind of, sort of, what your pay gap is. Walk in your boss's office and have a real conversation. The number one reason millennial women are leaving jobs today is not for more flexibility, and it's not for work-life balance, and it's not to have children. It's for more money. And so those companies that don't get it, I believe, are going to get hollowed out. I was just going to say, there's a really interesting study. I think I, I can't remember who did it, but it was on, um, it was a TED talk or a TEDx talk, but it was about saying we should all be transparent about salaries open to everybody because the efficiency level um, of workers, once they know how much their boss is making or their coworkers are making, it takes the whole guessing part out of the game and people are like, okay, this is what I need to do. I got to work hard and I can get to that level and get to that pay level or um, I'm not going to worry about it because actually they make just as much as I well, do. And there's an emotional tax to the uncertainty and to the, the feeling of mistrust, obviously. Um, you both mentioned a few names, but I'm curious, who are the, the role models in terms of leadership, in terms of companies? Who's doing it right? Is there a playbook that companies who want to do better and want to implement some more successful you know, tactics and initiatives should follow or should talk to privately behind the closed doors? I, I think the companies that are doing it right are those that admit that they're not there yet. So in other words, nobody's, nobody's perfect, right? And it's the ones that are open to say, look, we get it. We don't have complete gender diversity. We don't have a, you know, economic diversity. We certainly don't have enough people of color. Um, and we're not just putting people there to sort of check off the box, right? So that, that's the first thing is just to say, look, we get it. What, what can we do to help? Um, so uh, I love what Mark Benioff did, where he just said, we've got a gender pay gap. We went through, we looked at it, we closed it. It's just not that friggin' hard. I thought also that Sadia Nadella, when he 
made the comments he made about um, at his conference about he prefers women who I can't remember the exact words, but um, who wait to get the raise and karma will take care of them. And of course, there was a, was there a, was a just outrage. I don't know the man. I hear wonderful things about him, but that was that unconscious expectation coming out. And so I think when things like that happen and the discussion that takes place, it's really an interesting one. One thing I want to add to, because I thought it was really interesting in the, in the clip, that we should be aware of in its only research that I've come across recently, that one bias we have is that when women tend, are seen to look for power or attention or media attention, they, um, they bring out an emotion in us, men and women, of disgust and moral outrage, right? And so we, we can read a lot into Hillary Clinton's loss, you know, as president. We loved her as Secretary of State. We didn't like her when she was looking for power. And having these things slip out and then having a conversation about what's under them, I think that's a particularly important one because it's tended to keep men from helping women, but it keeps women from helping women too if she's stepping out of line. No, that's exactly right. Studies show that women judge other women more harshly um, as well, right? Yeah. So uh, we've women been brought found, up in the same society. Yeah, well, exactly right. And I think that I actually think that Hollywood has a lot to do with this. I think that the lack of female role models, um, the perpetuation of stereotypes. Look at how many people watch Silicon Valley, right? I mean, look at how the only one or two females on there completely stereotypical, sort of geeky, antisocial women with purple hair. You know, it's not helping. You mentioned the election. I don't want to spend you know too much time rehashing this because. This could be a political conference and everyone would talk about it all day long. But I'm curious your thoughts on the impact of the community that's forming around the women's marches and the, the kind of anti-Trump uh, sentiment. How is that going to play over into the business yeah. arena? Is that going to give I permission think, structure to leaders, yeah. for example, to behave differently? I think this is fascinating. So first of all, as we all know, that leadership team is the least diverse, the whitest malest since the Reagan era. And we're already seeing what happens when you have non-diverse teams in place, which is they make faster, more efficient decisions, but they make less effective decisions. And it's playing out in real time. What's interesting is the reaction of women. So um, to, to drop a, a bomb of a name, Gloria Steinem um, talks about how women typically are the only group that becomes more radical as we age. And I've seen that. You know, when I was in my 20s, I went to work on Wall Street, and, and I'm saying this feminism thing, it's my mom's issue. She's such a dork. I don't want to have to, I'm not going to deal with it. And by the way, there are all these other women, and the, everybody seems really happy to have me around. You then go into your 20s, and you go into a fugue state. You've got small kids, you're trying to get ahead, the work is hard, it's not clear you're going to make it, and you're just, you're in, in a coma. And then you come into your 40s, and all of a sudden you look around in your mid-40s, you say, what the hell? I'm the only woman left. Well, damn it. And all of a sudden, you beca you bec this becomes a topic, a topic of importance for you. And you've typically got the women back in their 20s who, is, as only Gloria could say, are at their sexual peak. And so everybody loves having them around, are saying, it's not a problem. And she says this has happened again and again. Here's what's different. The women in their 20s are pissed. I own the Elevate Network, which is a professional network of about 65,000 uh, women. And we've recently surveyed them. And the angriest by far are the women in their 20s. They are disillusioned, they're upset, they're frustrated, and they're trying to figure out what to do here. That's fascinating. Um, 
Unfortunately, we're running up against the end of our time. I want to give you guys a brief minute to tell us, uh, Robin, first of all, when are we going to get to see the film? Where can we see it? And where can women get involved, or men or women, frankly, with Elevate and Elvest? So um, I'm in fundraising mode, so I'm looking for corporate sponsors and trying to get that uh, done in the next six to eight weeks, and then I'll be on target to finish to submit to Sundance Film Festival, which is a tall, tall order, but it's a good, a good goal to have. Um, if not, there's Tribeca. So I, I'm looking for the first half of 2018 that'll come out, and, uh, and Code Debugging the Gender Gap will be on Netflix on the 15th of this month, and right now is on iTunes and Comcast, DirecTV, uh, so you can find it there. And uh, for any of you who are interested in more, because I'm a recovering research analyst, it looks like you've got the same bent, uh, but more data and information on it. I just wrote a book, Own It, The Power of Women at Work. Um, when I talk about it, interestingly, um, in groups, it's about 98% women and 2% brave gentlemen who, who show up. But I think there's a lot of interesting research in it. And then I'm the co-founder and CEO of Elevest, which is the digital investment platform I, I talked about. If you go on the website, you're going to see something that looks really quite different from any of the other uh, digital investment offering or investment offerings there out there today. Great. Robin, uh, Sally, thank you thank so you. much. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.